Good morning, everybody. Happy hump day. Welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by my fellow Mirror columnist and associate editor, Kevin Maguire. Morning, Kevin. Morning, Foxy. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to table a motion with the Executive Committee and see how far you get. So, what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on day two of the revelations about Del Boy Trotter actor David Jason's secret daughter, which is a fascinating read. It did not splash on the untimely death uh, announced overnight of TV legend and national hero Paul O'Grady because it came a little bit too late for the paper, but it's dominating the news this morning, so we're going to talk about it anyway. Now, Kevin, Paul's only 67, I think. It's far, far too young to die. But there's yep. one achievement, I think, it's almost remarkable, I think pretty much unique to him. There's, I don't know of anybody who's got a single bad word to say about him. No, not do I. He had a, a very big, generous heart, and he was an incredibly genuine man, and... Yeah, he was really, really, really funny as Lily Savage, as a talk show host, you know, the eponymous uh, Paul, uh, Paul O'Grady show. He was also incredibly generous with people. Uh, countless stories of him trying to help uh, help people and turn up on their doorsteps with Christmas presents when their kids had, had nothing. Uh, there was one story, you, you remember our colleague Sue Carroll, who sadly died just over a, a decade ago of, of cancer, big friend of Paul O'Grady's and Sue really cared how she looked and, uh, and as she was being ravaged by cancer and having chemo and she was in hospital and looking uh, not quite her best uh, mm. he turned up and he, and, he, and he knew she was really down so he said Sue I've seen you far worse in the past to <laughs> laugh and he cheered her up but he, he also was a fantastic campaigner as you say not just for dogs, but for for people. Yes, certainly in the in the, in the gay community, um, and he was working very closely with Peter Tatchell, the human rights campaigner, to get a police uh, apology for a, a terrible raid on uh, the Vauxhall Tavern, uh, a, a, a pub, yeah, uh, and a venue there. show. He was there that night. Yeah, 1987. Yeah, and he said all he was he was going to appear as as uh, Lily Savage. And all these cops burst in. At first, he thought they were um, a sh part of the show, and they were strippers. Uh, <laughs> but then he turned out not to be, and they had <laughs> because it was in the oh, idea. He tried to rip the trousers off. I know there was a lot of bigotry around uh, HIV at the time, uh, and so the coppers all had um, plastic, uh, you know, rubber gloves on. Uh, so uh, O'Grady said, "Well, you've come to help to do the washing up, have you?" Uh, just trying to get through it with uh, humour, but no, they were campaigning. Uh, they were campaigning to get an apology. Uh, I, I hope it's now posthumously uh, delivered. Yeah, no, we've had so many comments that come up on the screen there, um, which won't work for podcasts. But uh, you know, Lorraine says she's uh, devastated. Emma mm -hmm. Samways uh, and others, and Margaret, sad, such sad news about Paula Grady because it wasn't just like you said. Everything he's he said and did seemed to strike a chord somewhere, because uh, if you put on paper. What Paul O'Grady stood for, his his you know how passionate he was in his political beliefs. Having seen Paul says such sad news, rest in peace, Paul. Um, the things that he saw in Merseyside under Thatcher made him really politically quite definite and definitive about what he he thought of Margaret Thatcher and so on. He was very passionate about his support for gay rights because, as you say, he was there in the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. He was a patron of the Peter Tatchell Foundation. Mm -hmm. You put some of that stuff on paper. And you'd think you'd have a really, um, 
I don't want to say binary, but a really kind of a person people either loved or hated, you know, that was very yeah. extreme somehow in their beliefs. But when you saw Paul, how he talked about it, he it was just it was just a matter of simple humanism, wasn't it? He struck a chord with people um, life. That's right. He, he he related to people, and he was very relatable. And his head never was. He's never turned by his considerable success. He, he never forgot where he came from. And some people suffered more hardship and were less fortunate than him. He was a social worker at one point in Camden, and just saw some terrible things, including you know kids with kids with scabies. And a couple of years ago, for the Mirror, we had a Christmas appeal to to raise funds for for kids who would go uh, go without. And I, I had to mm -hmm. interview him and. and but I spoke to him, and I, and I posed the question. In some ways, it was unfair. Uh, you know, which which do you think you know is is, is most important, uh, saving dogs or saving children? Because of course, he's so you know linked to Battersea dogs and cat home, and his show on TV winning all those awards over over, over dogs. And he he said, well, but he, you don't really have to choose between the two, which he was right about. But he said, look, you can't be sentimental. And if it's a case of a starving dog or a, saving a starving child, of course it's the starving uh, child. Of course it is. Mm. Uh, and then he, then he was recounting what he saw as a social worker and he knew the suffering there. It's all in his background. It was all in his uh, earlier years. But he, he just never forgot. And it motivated him. That, that was it. You know, he, he, he lived his ideals and his values. Yeah, uh, I think that's so important. Well, more tributes there from our viewers. Um, uh, Elaine says, Paul loved everything you did on TV and your love of animals. I think it was Shirley was the last comment as well. Another tribute from her. So, I mean, the, he didn't sort of... The one thing about Paul as well is that when you were trying to... When you broke through into sort of the mainstream and the big time, when he was on BBC and he was on ITV and stuff, if you want to get those gigs... You do need to sometimes, I think Gary Lineker has recently proven, need to watch what you're saying yeah. um, and be a bit more vanilla, be a bit more mainstream. And he never, ever did wind his neck in, did he? He always suck it out for people. Yeah, you know, he'd always you know, smile, he'd always laugh. He had that scouse accent. He'd, he'd dress it up as being a bit cheeky sometimes uh, as, a, as a bit of a joke. But he made very, uh, very important political points. They're all valid. Mm. He was taken aside and he was taken aside of the the people who need looking after and need helping uh, yeah. and I, I just thought that was absolutely terrific and he you know, he, he did it every day and he in some ways he didn't shout about it he just did it and yeah. he did it with his usual you know, goodwill and humor and you know, that's you know you and I can be pretty acerbic as uh, you know, as, as journalists um, Us? he can't, Us? but he uh, you know he knew he knew how to try and win over people and disarm his opponents and try and charm them uh, as well. But he wasn't going to give an inch. He he, he, he he knew right from wrong. Yeah, exactly. Caroline, there another tribute. Thank you, everyone, for for giving us your thoughts about Paul. Because it wasn't just as well that his activism, as as you said, Kevin. He also did an awful lot for Bassy Dogs Home. He highlighted yeah. stories of so many animals that were in trouble there. And if if you had maybe a, weren't interested in his, some of his views on other things, the fact that he was so determined to help those dogs mm -hmm. uh, and and the cats, of course, that there as well, I think warmed you know everyone else's coppers of their hearts. But we can't just finish talking about Paul without mentioning the alter ego, Lily Savage, who I've got to say, I think is one of the most beautiful women I've probably ever seen. Mike says here, I remember him presenting the big breakfast as Lily Savage. It was two hours of live TV, daily in drag, trying not to swear. That in itself 
must have been a huge risk to take for the the, big, the bosses at Breakfast TV. Yeah, well, he was a very handsome man. Mm. Uh, agreed. He, and Richard Arnold on Good Morning Britain told how he used to he used to be a front of house a, a venue, and he, he knew he was going to have Lily Savage on, but he never seen Paula Grady as anything but Lily Savage. And this bloke just came up to him uh, to to chat, and he said, he said, "I was just struck how uh, how handsome it was," and I realised it was <laughs> Paula Grady. Yes, yeah. Lily, well, Lily had an absolutely cracking pair of pins. I was yeah. all um, and when when Lily did one of those sneers to the audience, yeah. oh, it was it was beautiful. And I always the one thing that I I, I really well, there's obviously many things to regret about Paul passing so early. Uh, Angela says is a hero to all divas and animals. We sadly miss there'll never be a Paul, another Paul O'Grady. Um, the fact is that it's such a pity we didn't have the right to host Eurovision any sooner than this year and he's not going to be around for it although he retired Lily a little while ago I've always thought if we ever got Eurovision Lily would be the perfect compare <laughs> the best possible demonstration to the rest of the world what Britain is and what it stands for I know I don't know there'd be some people who would otherwise complain but no they're not gonna have a go at Paula Grady as, as Lily's average he would just charm and win him uh, win him over can you imagine it also being up in you know scouse land his own, you know his own his home region yeah. uh, oh good lord crowning glory it yeah. would have been absolutely beautiful I think even Russia would have uh, did Russia get to vote in Eurovision these days yeah they do don't they even uh, Russia would have voted for we absolutely savage are they allowed to compete? I don't know if they're coming this year, but they do. They do take part. I think they may have perhaps been blackboard slightly. I don't. I can't remember what happened last year even because I know obviously Ukraine won. I think I don't know. I can't recall. I'm not enough of a Eurovision fan because Lily Savage was never on it. That's I'm, why. I'm, I'm sure we'll be correct, and there'll be somebody watching who will know. In the comments, do let us know if Russia's in or out this year or what happened last year, because we can't remember. We're too old and adult, and it's I didn't get enough sleep last night. But first, we do, do need to move on to some other stories. So thank you. If you've got any particular memories of, of Paul or Lily, get into the comments and let us know, and we might wrap some up at the end if there's any good ones. But we do need to move on to the next story. So very quickly, on page two of today's Daily Mirror, uh, it's been revealed that the uh, cost of extending the free school meals to every child whose family is on universal credit would be an absolutely thumping £1 billion. So, Kevin, I can think if that figure's right, I think we can all work out why the government is so reluctant to do it, because it would mean taking a few billions away from their mates. But especially as a spokesman in that, that copy says lower down that in 2010, there were one in six children on England in England on free school meals, and it's now it's a third but, of course, that includes reception-age children in the year one and twos and stuff. So it's not all the poorest families. Um, but am I right in thinking that basically this is the Tories saying it will be too expensive to give the children of universal credit families a free school meal what, every day for, what, six months of the year because so many families are on universal credit? But, of course, the fact so many families are on universal credit is itself a massive indictment of the failures of Tory governments over the past 13 years. I mean, this is their fault it would be that expensive, isn't it? Yeah, well, we live in a low-wage uh, e economy. Uh, nearly half the people who are classed as in poverty have somebody in their, uh, their home who works, but wages just don't pay the bills. That £1 billion cost, 
that's how much they're gifting the highest earners in um, pension tax per oh. to build up their pots. I mean, how is that for a symmetry? You're going to have a very few people, including, I would suspect, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor, um, enjoying extra tax perks for their pensions or getting, getting their public money gifted to go into their pensions. Or you could have free school meals for um, the most needy uh, kids. Let me think which I would prefer. I know which Paula Grady would prefer, and yeah. it wouldn't be the pension pot perks. But no, this report from the Institute of Fiscal Studies is kind of fascinating because it's all about the impact of means testing and how means testing is actually very mean and unfair because the only people who qualify for free school meals aren't all those families on universal credit, which, as you point out, tops up low peer. It is only those on universal credit who earn a maximum £7,399 a year, which, I did the sums, is £142.29 per week. If you go to £7,400, you've got a £1 uh, pay raise, you've got £7,400, your kids don't get free school meals. So there's 1.7 million kids, families claim universal benefit because they're earning over that uh, means-tested threshold, they don't get it, and so they're losing effectively... 460 quid on average per mm. people. And it then means, I know you're going to get lots of figures here, but it's how means testing is wrong. Because if you just come to the point and then you're off a cliff. So if you earn £7,399, you get free school meals. If you go just over, you lose them. So you could, could go up, you could get a pound a year pay rise, go to 7400 You'd lose your free school meals if that's two kids. It means you've lost the equivalent of uh, earning up to nine thousand four hundred because, of course, you earn that extra money, but you, but you yeah. wouldn't have the free school meals. It, it, it's absolutely nonsense. But if you're on universal credit, you should get free school meals. That is the bottom line. And there's one point seven million kids not, and as a result, sometimes they go hungry or their families face additional financial hardship. And it's a choice whether you spend the money on these kids or you give it to the highest earners so they can build up even bigger pension pots. So we've given a billion pounds. The Tories voted for a billion pounds to go to the highest earners in the country to put take tax out of their pension pots. And they also have voted against giving a billion pounds to universal credit families. Yes, yes. Moving this means testing, vicious cliff edge, to yes. saying everyone on universal credit, you get it, regardless, we're not going to say there's a certain rate. And that's the choice they've made. Pension yeah. over kids eating dinner. Well, yeah, how many times do you say, how much is it going to cost? Where's the money going to come from? We can't afford it. And then they make political choices. And they've made, I think, a terrible political choice. The, the people earning 300, 400, 500 grand a year, uh, good luck to you if you're in the tiny minority get that. You can put as much money in your pension as, as you like. You can put as much aside as you like. But it's how much do we keep on subsidising those payments by saying, if you if you put in a, a quid, we'll give you 45p back for it. So if every quid you save, it's only 55p. That's how it's working with them on the pensions. But then you've got all these bloody... Sorry, uh, no, you don't like swearing. Um, oh, it's not us, it's Facebook. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, yeah. I'm fine with swearing, but uh, it is... But it makes, it just makes me angry about the priorities. Yeah. When there are people at the bottom, those who Paul O'Grady would champion are, are having hardship and then they're feather-bedding those at the top. That, yeah. that is a political choice. I think it's a wrong choice.
Whereas it is an immoral choice, definitely. I don't think it's necessarily shouldn't be a political point. It's just it's just flat wrong to not be feeding poorer children while you're putting extra pounds down the throats of people who are already quite rich and probably should probably have their pensions taxed a bit in order to pay for free school meals for those children who'll be paying the state pension they'll also be benefiting from when they get older because that's not means tested is it right anyway we need to move on to the next story um and this is one that's sort of agitating left and right today it's got to be said and yesterday so the former labor leader jeremy corbyn has been banned from standing as an MP uh, in his Islington North constituency, which he's represented for the past 40 years, right, since 1983, at the behest of current Labour leader Keir Starmer, who's made all this happen. So, Kevin, take us through all this. There was a lot of machinery within the Labour Party at work here. What exactly happened? Yeah, right. right. The end, the end result is Jeremy Corbyn will not be able to stand for Labour at the next general election in Islington North, and if he declares in the meantime that he's going to stand as an independent, he will then be expelled from the party. And the system used by Keir Starmer to implement this, and he's had uh, Corbyn lost the whip in 2020 over, I, th I thought he's uh, awkward, poor, ungenerous, not very good, in truth, response to the um, Equalities and Human Rights Commission report into anti-Semitism in Labour. Remember, Labour was put into the equivalent of special measures, the only political party that's had that since the BMP. Separate argument whether the Tories should have uh, been in there for Islamophobia, but nevertheless, Le Labour was put in on anti-Semitism because it hadn't handled complaints uh, properly for all sorts of reasons, different factions blaming e e each other. But Cor I think Corbyn's response was very, very poor instead of just accepting accepting the report. He was trying to qualify the uh, the extent of it in Labour. He's been suspended since then. But what's happened is the National Executive Committee, which is the governing body of the Labour Party, has a Starmer majority, has passed a motion. And it's very rare to do it this way. It's very, very rare. Saying because, not doesn't mention anti-Semitism, but it says because of, to avoid any detrimental impact on the party standing with the electorate and its political interests, Corbyn will not be allowed to stand. What it's really about, I think, um, three things. One, yes, the question around anti-Semitism. Two, I think Starmer wants to show his break from the Corbyn past mm -hmm. by making an example of Corbyn himself. And thirdly, it's intended to silence, gag, other left MPs by intimidating them and making them fear that if they speak out on policy or political issues, they too will be um, barred from, from standing. So I think it's very draconian. I think it's very authoritarian. I think it, Islington North should have had the decision themselves. If I lived in Islington North and I was a member of the Labour Party, which I'm not, would I adopt Jeremy Corbyn as my candidate? I might not. He's 73, might want to say, look, it's time uh, to move on. If I lived there, would I vote for him? I might, I might not. If he stands an independent, could he let another party in? Mm -hmm. No, because the majority is so big. It's 26,000 of the, the Labour majority. Yeah, it's, 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 the it's the People's Republic of North London, isn't it? That is. Yeah, well, look. Never return it, a Tory. But both the Tories and the Liberal Democrats could double their vote on last time. The Labour vote under Corbyn could split between Corbyn and uh, an official Labour candidate. And what Corbyn or the official Labour candidate would still be 
uh, would still still be a lack here. But all this question, is it fairness? Is it fair to do it this way? Or does it just show the utter ruthlessness of Starmer in his attempt to get Labour elected, make it electable in, in his view? Um, Jason Beatty, our colleague in the mirror, has, has written you know, the two sides of the argument, but he just points out that by alienating the wider left this way, he says this victory for Starmer and banning Corbyn could be tomorrow's defeat yeah. because he will alienate some supporters. The gamble, I suppose, that Starmer's taking is that because, um, you know, the as Mike says here, the anger on the left about excluding Corbyn is understandable, but anyone watching PMQ sees the Tories constantly tying Starmer to yeah. the Corbyn leadership that, of course, he served under. They yeah. see that association as toxic to Starmer. Of course, Johnson won that landslide in 2019, basically a lot of it playing on the fear of Corbyn and what Corbyn was going to do. Yeah. Um, and what it would mean for safety and security and international diplomacy and other things. Uh, mm -hmm. And we now know, for example, with the war in Ukraine, I mean, Corbyn probably wouldn't have been, just, was no way he'd have been as determined as Johnson was to arm the Ukrainians yeah. against Russia. So it would have made a huge impact. And you know, is this not, from Starmer's point of view, the gamble that he can lose the extreme left on his party, be seen to almost detoxify it after some of the scandals of the Corbyn years, and actually not move the party to the right, but just appease that part of Britain which yeah. has which had a problem with Corbyn, the Daily Mail, the Daily Mail readers, the, that that particular attack from the Tories. He can nullify that by saying, "I've kicked him out." Yeah, yeah, he is moving the he is moving Labour to the right, but it will still be the the centre left. It'll just be nearer the centre than the. The, the left, uh, and he's making all those pragmatic, practical calculations. He will also argue he's acting on the principle of uh, anti-Semitism just cannot be tolerated in any way, and he's put all that around Corbyn, because there was unquestionably a problem in Labour at the, at the time, and some of the people who were attracted to Corbyn were anti-Semitic and the complaints weren't uh, dealt with uh, fully. Sometimes nothing to do with Jeremy Corbyn and his office, as the uh, Martin Ford QC, or QC now, uh, report showed. Uh, the head office, which was opposed to Corbyn, uh, was, was occasionally mishandling com complaints and you know, suspicion uh, that, that, was, uh, that, was, that was political. But there was certainly a problem. And, and for a party like Labour that preaches anti-racism, equality and fairness, for a community in Britain, the Jewish community, to feel you are so much against him and anti-Semitic is, is a point. And in some ways, Corbyn had a blind spot because he would always say, well, I've spent my entire life campaigning against racism. So he couldn't understand why mm. some of the things he, he, he said and did were alienating the community that uh, you know, will say, look, that, that is anti-Semitic. Yeah, and then there's there's the argument that he spent his entire life doing these things. Alex Cohn says Corbyn's like Orban in Hungary, mm, maybe. Um, uh, but the, the idea that he spent in his entire life fighting for something and uh, hasn't got it does make you wonder whether really he's that effective as an yeah, MP. Well, I, I, I thought he was an ineffective uh, leader. I thought he was a poor leader uh, in many ways. He, although it's it's it's... It's got to be said, Labour's got a, uh, had a deeper problem than Jeremy Corbyn because even in the um, 
drubbing of uh, 2019, Labour's share of the vote in the general, that general election was higher than Ed Miliband got in 2015 and Gordon Brown in 2010. In some ways, uh, Starmer now getting Labour in the lead with double-digit poll uh, leads is a phenomenal turnaround, unquestionably. Um, there are lots, lots of reasons um, for that, and assisted in some ways by Boris John, Boris Johnson, who wooed the country in 2019 and then became an utter liability for the Tories after after Partygate. Then Liz Truss. Johnson's quite yeah. good at wooing. He's not so good at actually sticking around. After yeah, the wooing has been completed. But, but Starmery supporters can, I think, legitimately argue they've gone from Labour winning its fewest, you know, fewest number of seats since 1935 to rattling the gates of Downing Street and knocking on the door of number 10 at the next election. That's a remarkable transformation. Yeah. And as Lazy pointed out there, you've got similar divisions in the Conservative Party. They've had a remarkable transformation in terms of, you know, having a landslide only what well, just over three years ago and completely spaffing the whole thing up the wall <laughs> in, in the very short space of time. I don't think Facebook will notice that was a swear. So let's not mention it. Well, it was a, it was a Boris Johnson quote in another context. Exactly. That. Um, one quick thing before we move on to good news. Uh, if Jeremy Corbyn might stand as an independent, um, I suppose maybe he, is there any? He probably he can't be selected by a rebel Labour Party constituency, Labour Party anywhere else. That's that's not going to be on the books. But if he were to stand against the approved Labour candidate in Islington North, there was a general election. There would be a huge amount of national attention on it. There would be a huge number of momentum activists who generally there's not enough. There's a lot of them on Twitter, but there isn't enough of them in any one constituency to actually swing a cat. Whereas if they all just, you know, descend on Islington North and try to get their man back in, they would plough all their what little resources they have now into that. Labour would throw a lot of its perhaps effort into trying to get their guy, their person in, as opposed to Jeremy. It become it would become quite a battleground, wouldn't it? And become yeah. quite obvious. Is there any chance that Corbyn could actually take that? Could win? Or is he always? Yeah. He's just going to split the vote and he's going to lose. No, I think there's a you know, there's a reasonable good ch chance of your Jeremy Corbyn of of winning. Islington North is the the most compact, dense constituency in the UK. He's been there for forty years. He will have helped many of the people living in it. He will know them. He's got huge name recognition. And as you as you say, there will be. Uh, loads of uh, tr every trot in the country will go to campaign for them. There'll be lots of door knocking, leafleting, street corner rallies, rallies. Labour to counter that would would need candidate. I I would you know, just just chatting to people in Labour. They think they need um, a vibrant young local woman of colour who can present as the future, not the not the past. If they don't don't smile at this, uh, Foxy. But if uh, she uh, was called Ardvark or uh, you know Boardwalk, she'd be appear ahead of him. <laughs> Corbyn on the uh, on the ballot paper when people are looking for the uh, for, for the name and the and, and the logo. And it would be whether this this Islington like North Circus. Uh, somehow pulls Labour down and the Tories can say this is the real face of Labour or Starmer can say you know, look at my Labour party and look at that one 
that's yeah. how I've changed. It's, it's, it's what is it a symbol of? But a it, fresh it, face against the against the old god is probably quite a an appealing sell for a lot of people. Yeah. Never mind, just for the election generally. If you know, like Starmer can't say New Labour, can he? But he needs to have some kind of hopey, changey Barack Obama type rhetoric to say, you know, you've had thirteen years of the Tories. Whoever's going to be then fifteen years, let's move on. Let's do something different. Let's change. And uh, that might be very indicative of that. But we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Thank you for explaining that to us, Kevin. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part. Uh, now we do have some good news in the world. Keep asking your questions, everybody. By the way, what do you think about? Have you got any memories of Paul O'Grady or anything that particularly stands out? What do you think about uh, removing the means testing for free school meals? Is that necessary, or do you think it's an important investment in our economy somehow to um, make rich people richer? <laughs> pension pots. Bit of a leading question for you. Uh, and what do you think about Corbyn's deselection? Is that necessary part of detoxifying the Labour Party in time for the next election or is that anti-democratic and just not what the Labour Party should be for let us know we'll try and have a wrap up at the end but um, before then we've found some good news there is some in the world and here it is now this is a lovely story about Amelia who's age 11 on the right there of that picture, uh, and her neighbour Maureen, uh, who's 74, is there giving her a hug. Now, Maureen wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for Amelia. She'd taken a fall at home in Norwich on Christmas Eve uh, and had no family to check up on her. She was stuck on the floor for a few days. Um, she developed pneumonia. She was hallucinating. The doctors say she was 24 hours away from death. But then Amelia, who was a neighbour, um, noticed the curtains were closed and the lights were still on during the day, took a peek through the window and saw Maureen's slippers stuck up in the air on the floor because she was uh, obviously was lying down on the floor uh, and realised something's wrong. She and her dad broke in. They called an ambulance. Maureen took a few weeks in hospital to recover and now she is back at home um, full of the joys of spring, literally, uh, and says that she owes it all to Amelia, which is absolutely lovely story. Kevin, is this is this proof? I suppose that all right, the state might be not be looking out for us in the way that it should, but there's there's still plenty of decent people in the world who are. Oh, I think oh. Most people, yeah, I think most people are decent and keep an eye out for their for their neighbours. And I, I I love this this story. Like it's uh, yeah, it, it doesn't mean everyone's got a license to go and peek in other people's windows. I think you have to have a reason to do well, she, that. She did have a reason to look through the window. She noticed the lights were on during the day. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, and I love the uh, Slippers of the Yard, which, of course, is a play on Slipper of the Yard, who mm. uh, was the detective. Uh, it was uh, Ronnie Biggs, wasn't it? Um, yeah. One of those uh, people. Black who, Slipper, who tracks uh, Ronnie Biggs down to um, Rio. Brazil. Yeah, the boy. The boy, the boy, the boy yeah, finally no. got his man. So, so I really love the uh, Slippers of the Yard uh, headline, although I sometimes wonder that it's a social reference point of people like you, me, and whoever wrote it are a bit, uh, bit, uh, bit old for, for younger people. But no, it is just heartwarming. And you know, young people get a lot, a lot of flack, too much flack, sometimes in the media, sometimes probably in the mirror uh, as well. And there's always these moral panics about them using nitrous oxide, you know, laughing gas, which now... Yeah, the government wants to uh, to ban announce Michael Gore, of course, who had to pull out the Tory leadership contest because of his own use of cocaine. But nevertheless, um, yeah, most young kids, most young people, most people are decent, friendly, and look out for each other. And I think that's what we should remember.
Yes, so I think that's that's probably pretty much what Paul O'Grady would tell us as well if he were here. Now, mm. I think we've got a few comments to wrap on before we go. Uh, Keith says, what chance do the Lib, Lib Dems stand of winning the next election? I think last time I checked, Keith, there were 11 Liberal Democrat MPs in the House of Commons. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chances of them winning the next election are approximately zero, but they've got a very good chance of, of doing the Tories a lot of... Uh, injury in the in the old blue wall in the south haven't they kev yeah i think, got, I think the lib dems have got a much chance winning the general election as i have scoring a hat trick for england in a world cup final <laughs> which sadly is zero as you say but now they've uh, they've been doing rather well recently in those blue walls and seats winning a, a series of uh, by uh, by elections and look, I don't think Labour will get a big majority. If Labour win the general election, it'll be a small majority. It might even just be the biggest party in a hung parliament, which would then give the Lib Dems some, some power. But what we don't know and what could hurt the Lib Dems is Labour's revival nationally could mean some people in, in, in those blue walls see to a Labour supporters but would need to vote tactically for the Lib Dems for them to oust Conservatives. Will they stick with Labour just because Labour's buoyant and they mm. like what they see? That's that's what we don't know. Yeah, and there's also, of course, the boundary changes that are coming in. Uh, you know, the wheel. The I live in Maidstone and the Weald, which is part it's part urban and part really rural, like like that there. And so it's always been a safe blue seat, but it's been split now into an urban ward and a more rural uh, constituency. And so the chances, you know, how you're going to vote, depending on where you live, might actually start changing if you start thinking about it, because the, the votes for, for Labour voters in Maidstone are going to have far more impact, maybe yeah. returning a Labour MP, than it would do out in the wheel with all the people out here living in the sticks. So that's going to make a big change in the next election as well, isn't it? The safe seats are all going to get tickled a bit. No, that's right. If you've, you've been living in a certain area, you, you might have likely local MP, you might just like the local MP, that could have impacted how you vote. Now, there'll be some uh, change on that. But there's a huge churn at general elections, which is actually always bigger than the you know, the, the changes between the parties, because people you know, in, in 2019, there would have been people who used to vote for Conservatives who would have gone to, to Labour under Corbyn, despite the fact they got hammered. Or something like, it's something like a quarter, quarter of the country changes how it votes between general elections. Interesting. And also, of course, there's going to be photo ID needed this time. So in the local elections that are coming up uh, in May, you will need photo ID, as we said the other day. And we're going to keep saying on the show, make sure if you go to the ballot station, you have a passport or your driving license with you. Or if you don't have one of those things, there are various ways you can find online to get the right kind of ID that will enable you to vote. Don't lose your vote. People who are poorer are less likely to have those kinds of photo ID and it is being done in order to keep poorer people out of the ballot, uh, the polling station. So make sure you try and get some form of ID to take down there. Uh, Mike says Russia are not competing in the Eurovision this year. Really? Thank you helping us. Uh, Eurovision board, whoever that is, banned them in 2022. Yeah, of course they did. Uh, and P.S. you've got tickets. Well done, Mike. You're one of the only people in the country who's managed to get tickets to go to Liverpool for uh, Eurovision. I hope you have a nice time. It's a great pity that Lily won't be there with you. Um, but thank you for answering the question. I'm sure someone went off and Googled it. I knew someone would. Um, thank you, Kevin, for explaining all that to us. Uh, yep. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. And uh, I think PMQs will be back on this channel later on at, at 12 o'clock. So tune in to see. Is it? I think um, Rishi and Kia were going to Betty Boothroyd's funeral today. It was being yep. So it's the deputies today, isn't it? Yeah, you got Dominic Robb, who's accused of bullying, and Angela Rinna for Labour, who'll bu bully Dominic Robb. 
<laughs> pay good money to see Dominic Raab being bullied. Uh, right, everyone, thank you for taking part. Come back for PMQs later on, and we'll see you again on Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. Till then, tatty bye. Mm -hmm.